This is the Pain Information Network. Pop quiz. All right. What does a world-renowned physician, the mayor of New York City in a former day, a professor, Department of Medicine at University of California, president of Health Policy and Strategic Associates, and the vice chair for theory and practice of medicine, Stanford style. Dr. Gabor Rax, Dr. Devi, Peter Statz, Francis Riegler, Aaron Kolodny, Laxman Chikanti, Dr. North, and, and the list goes on. What do they all have in common? Well, the world-renowned physician is a keynote speaker, Andrea Trescott. Well, guess what? She's on today, and uh, kind of a, a fun little story there. Where is she? Somewhere warm. What does his former mayor have to do with anything? Well, Andrea will be speaking right along with the Honorable Rudy Giuliani. The other uh, very distinguished individuals will be at our annual meeting, and that's going to be coming up in April. So I'll be running around trying to get a bunch of people on the podcast that hopefully are going to be giving some insights from across the map, academic, non-academic, political, and in Dr. Devi, well, she, she's on uh, Fox. She's been on a lot of different uh, TV uh, shows, and she's a really, really dynamic individual, a young physician director of ASIP, um, a, a real rising star. But anyway, this meeting is just packed with the best of the best. So I'm really looking forward in April to filling up this podcast. A couple of things, housekeeping. I noticed that the host that I have for this podcast uh, started deleting a couple of my early podcasts when I hit 100. I contacted them, and yep, they did. They have a limit on the uh, RSS feeds, so we're going to be changing and going over to another platform. So that's coming. We'll get them all back, and you can go to paininformation.com, and I think they're still there. I'm almost sure they are. So if you want to hear some of the early ones, and I, you know, I, I just cringe when I listen to them because uh, you know, I was learning, and uh, I was just trying to figure out this podcast business, but we boldly march forward. I'm going to bring John back, too. John texted me today with some funny stuff. John Swicegood uh, puts it puts it straight. He puts it from a humble and very straightforward frontline position of a pain doctor. Really fun to have on a podcast. So I'm going to bring him back. And that was one of them that got deleted. And the five rules. The five rules of uh, pain uh, medicine and my five rules. They're, I'm bringing them up. I, I'm not trying to take credit for anything. I'm try, probably trying to apologize for them. But they are a real good reference point. And whenever I have trouble trying to figure a patient out or moving forward with somebody, I go to those five rules. Do I have the diagnosis right? Do I understand the meds? Do I believe in the diagnosis? And really from a you know really compassion standpoint, I want to make everybody better. Realistic standpoint, I want to improve function. That's rule five. So I'm always kind of trying to reel myself in and trying to do the right thing for the right reasons. I've said that many times. So I'll be going through the program of the annual meeting a number of times before we get there. And I'll be going to Memphis uh, to teach at a cadaver workshop. So we'll get some folks there 
on the podcast. So we've got we got a lot on our plate coming up, and world class people, world class. Now this is an informational station, and please consider it informational. Uh, run everything by your uh, qualified practitioner uh, before you do anything, and watch the Google stuff. Be careful of what you read on the internet. And also, uh, as a point of fact, it's not always easy to find a qualified pain practitioner, but most practitioners, uh, both at mid-level and at uh, physician level, they have a real good idea and a real good sense of what to do. If they're just talking, doing a bunch of narcotics and a bunch of drugs, uh, be careful. And that's just a public health concern. So uh, if you go to ASIPP.org, they do have a physician directory there. Uh, I think American Academy of Pain Medicine does too, and they're good doctors, and pretty much, uh, you know, they're on that directory because they're qualified uh, for uh, the practice of pain medicine and not rogue physicians. If you'd, uh, I know I say it too much, uh, but it, it really helps us rank. If you go to iTunes and leave a, an honest review, I'd really appreciate it. Paininformation.com, I read the uh, uh, all the really uh, great comments, and I try to build and steer the podcast toward those comments. I'm going to do a podcast coming up soon for the providers on a lot of the resources that I use for references, and they come from pain physician journals um, and important peer-reviewed documents. So that's coming. <clears throat> so this is going to be for patients and providers alike over the next few months. It'll be fun. It's going to be exciting. But you know what? We got Andrea today. How cool is that? Well, let's go find out where Andrea is. Well, it's a privilege to have Andrea Trescott here. And uh, Andrew, where are you this fine morning? It feels like uh, where in the world is Waldo. I am in Brazil, in Campinas, teaching um, a group of pain fellows who have committed a month, a weekend, a month for the next eight months to come and learn pain management. Isn't that incredible? And uh, they're, of course, not getting paid to do that or anything like that, but that's a testament to the dedication of those that have a passion to treat pain and to put people in a better place in their life. And you're doing it for them. You're uh, not uh, a novice at this. You've been doing this a long time, and you've been traveling all around the world. Where have you been this year? You've been, what, I saw France, Germany, Spain. Is that right? Um, where have you been? I'm Germany, Spain. Um, been Brazil a couple of times now. I'm on. I've got a trip to Egypt, to Scotland. I've been to London, um, to China last year. Jeez. Um, to, so lots of lots of, of places, and every place in the world, people are hurting, and this is an opportunity to not just see those patients, I treat patients when in these countries, but also chance to train other doctors to be able to take care of these patients. So it's the instead of um, feeding a man a fish, I'm teaching him how to fish. So, yeah, you know, that, that's the thing. The incredible thing is uh, in the USA, we are the major world consumer of opioids, and the rest of the world 
does not have access to, to opioids. So what do they have? They have interventional pain, which speaks to interventional pain as an incredible, valuable tool uh, to uh, relieve suffering, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Okay. Um, we uh, talked just a second off uh, offline about what uh, what is interesting, and, and I, I think pelvic pain is um, and, and abdominal pain in general is an important topic because, as I learned just last Thursday, I got a referral from somebody out of state on pelvic and abdominal pain. Because I'm the only one in the western part of North Carolina that's interested or wants to treat it. I doubt that's true. But that's the way it sounds. Um, no one wants to treat it. How come? Well, it's like our friend with Derby says, you know, 50% of what he treats is low back pain and 50% of it is neck pain and the rest is anything else. So most pain doctors are focusing on the spine and they have deferred and, um, and, and actually... Um, they don't treat headaches. They defer to the neurologist. They don't treat abdominal pain. They defer to the gastroenterologist. And they don't treat pelvic pain. They defer, they defer to the OBGYN or the urologist. And unfortunately, those specialties are not well equipped to deal with pain problems. They're not particularly trained to deal with pain problems. And we have some interventional techniques that are wonderful but none of these other specialties have the skill to do. And it can be very exciting to be able to not only diagnose the cause of the problem, but potentially treat it. And sometimes it can be quite simple and missed because it doesn't show up on MRI. Yeah, you know, that's true because um, when we start off, and as I always say, we start off with, first of all, you have to have a diagnosis. Second of all, you have to know how to treat that diagnosis, or you better refer it out. That's rule three. You have to understand the pharmacology available in front of you and the added techniques. So when we get into, first of all, what you have, abdominal pain or pelvic pain, you defer to a differential diagnosis. What are some of the common problems? Well, the problem is, is that abdominal pain is no more a diagnosis than low back pain is. Um, it is a symptom, and there are a multitude of things that can cause those symptoms. Some of them are actually abdominal wall pains. There's a condition called the anterior cutaneous nerve entrapment, or acne syndrome. And there are nerves that come from the spine that wrap around to the front of the abdomen, and they get trapped at the edge of the rectus abdominis muscle, which is that six-pack muscle, whereas most of us have a 12-pack and, and pouring over. But the, each of those six-pack muscles gets its own blood flow and its own nerve supply from nerves that are coming around from the back, and they have to pierce through the covering that covers that muscle and separates it from its neighbors. And where it pierces through that fascia, um, it can get trapped, just like a finger and a wing. And so I've had patients who've had as many as eight laparoscopies that have a simple abdominal nerve entrapment there on the um, outside of the abdomen. These um, nerve entrapments, because the nerves come into the spinal column at the same level as the um, as the visceral nerves or the nerves that are going to the stomach and the liver and the gallbladder and the uh, intestines, they come in at the same level, and so the body interprets that as coming from the same source, 
It'll be, they'll be associated with nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, with um, increased GI motility that will leave the rumbling sounds. Um, but they are not, they are being triggered from the abdominal wall, which makes them then very easy to get to. You can feel them with your fingers and you can inject them without any specialized equipment. Once you, if that makes the pain go away temporarily, then there are a variety of techniques. You can use fluid to try and um, spread open that opening so it's not so tight. So it would be like sizing a ring. Um, you can freeze the nerve, a technique called cryoneuroblation. You might be, you can do that under with or without ultrasound. So that's where the first place it starts. Um, we can look at the nerves that carry the signals from the gut into the spinal column. They collect right around the biggest blood vessel in the body, which is called the aorta, in a collection of nerves called the celiac plexus. And then they connect to And so the, um, if there's, say, a cancer in the abdomen and pain medicines aren't controlling that pain, we can shut off the pain signals from being able to get to the brain. And we can do that with celiac plexus blocks um, and splenic nerve blocks. And um, those can be, the celiac can be injected with alcohol or phenol to kill those nerves, and the splenics can be killed with radio frequency. So you can very effectively disconnect the pain cause from the pain interpretation. Now, we've classically only done that for people who had uh, life-threatening illnesses like uh, pancreatic cancer, but we're beginning to do it more commonly with things like chronic pancreatitis. And one of the things I'm fascinated by is the ability to treat acute pancreatitis with these sorts of injections, restoring blood flow to the pancreas, and perhaps preventing chronic pancreatitis. So again, going back to something you and I have talked about over the years many times is the fact that all chronic pain started as an acute pain that is inadequately or inappropriately unmanaged. And so if you can treat these pains early and aggressively, you may be able to prevent the long-term pain. If we start moving down, we've got the iliopinia and the iliohepagastric nerves that are at the level of the top of the pelvic rim, and those are going into the lower abdomen and into the the genital organs. You also have the genital femoral nerve that's running along the psoas muscle, which is sort of the filet mignon of our body and the muscle that causes that allows you to be able to flex oh your hip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so those are nerves that get trapped up by surgeries like um, the, a C-section uh, for the bikini, the bikini incisions, they're called a Bannon steel incision or inguinal hernia repairs. Um, and then so those get trapped with the surgery as the scar forms and wraps around the nerves. Um, you can look at the pudendal nerve, which is the nerve that, that goes to the perineum, that area between where the rectum is and where the testicles or the vaginal area is. And um, that can uh, that nerve has a very variable path that runs from the um, the tailbone and comes over by the hips and then underneath the sitting bone and then into that perineal area, and the nerve can get trapped in multiple places. And so there, um, we can look at 
numbing medicine and anti-inflammatory medicine in the tailbone or sacrum. We can look at the collection of sympathetic nerves at the very tip of the tailbone, which is called the ganglion adentar. We can look at the, nerve, the sympathetic nerves that gather in front of the aorta, just as the at the biggest curve of the low back, just before it turns into the tailbone, which is called the superior hypogastric plexus. We can, um, can inject the individual sacral nerve roots. We can freeze the individual sacral nerve roots. Um, it's sometimes a sacroiliac problem that mimics not low back pain, but pelvic pain. There are a variety of muscles, both around the um, pelvic area and in women, even up in the pelvic area, that we can inject Botox in to relax those muscles. We can do spinal cord stimulators up in the thoracic area that in the abdomen, um, we, we can put electrodes down in the pelvis area and actually even out the individual sacral nerves. So there are a ton of things that we are the only ones that, that have the skills to be able to do. And unfortunately, um, not only do people not get referred to us because they don't think of pain management in that way, but so few, they get reinforced, negative reinforcement, because they try and send the patient to the local pain doc, and the local pain doc says, oh, I don't do anything with those. And so they don't bother to follow up. And if this pain doctor doesn't do it, then probably nobody does. And that's not that's not true at all. There are a group of us who are very interested in these sorts of pains, and I hope to be continuing to teach other doctors um, in the United States and around the world to be able to identify and treat these causes of pain. Which you're doing. And for those lucky enough uh, to be treated by Andrea, um, they may be surprised to know that she is an incredibly learned individual about these nerves and probably the world authority because of what? This 900-page book that she wrote. <laughs> and it is really a great textbook. I'm putting some of it on pain information with her permission, and it's been well-received. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a book that all doctors ought to have on their shelf. You know, they don't have to read it, but they can reference it. And that's what we do with most uh, medical textbooks. We reference them. We don't go cover to cover. She also is an author of uh, PainWise, and I'm telling you, you ought to make that an electronic version, too, and so people can download it, you know, different sections. It is really a good it book. It is available. It's available. It's available in Kindle. It's good, um, was good. written uh, a patient's guide to pain management. So it's a way for – it was written specifically for patients um, so that they could understand how to, pain, to, how to pick a pain doctor what to look for because not all pain doctors are created equal to, to avoid getting um, trapped up with someone who is not a legitimate doctor, a pain doctor. Um, and then some anatomy, some pharmacology to understand these medicines. And then a discussion about some of the many things that we just talked about that we can do to try and treat pain. Exactly right. And they cherry pick. Oh, and I will tell you that in... What's in that? the um, in my text in the the big textbook, I even put in the back of it a index of symptoms. So if somebody comes, if a patient comes into your office and they're complaining about an ice pick in the eye, you look under ice pick in the eye, and that'll tell you to look for the greater occipital nerve. Yeah, that's really it's it's great. <laughs> as far as uh, who would think of that? Well, you would think of that. That's an experienced pain doctor for you. How do they get the book? 
Uh, the book, let's say, Pain Wise, is available um, on Amazon.com. And be careful. It's a $15 book. And I was looking the other day, and I saw somebody listing it for school, $55. And I'm hoping that's wrong, but I wrote No, it's um, hijacked. Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, Amazon has a problem with uh, uh, getting uh, their uh, listings hijacked. I saw that, too. But they can go yeah. to paininformation.com. And I have a link to it at, with the proper um, uh, link, so it's uh, fifteen bucks. And I'll work with Amazon too, Sue. And it's got all sorts of pictures and uh, glossary of medical terms and uh, a lot of really good information, I think. Oh, and yeah. then the oh, yeah. um, the Springer book, the, the textbook, is um, available at Springer.com. It's available in both an electronic form and in the ninety pound. Um, I don't need a, a gym membership. I just haul that book around. And yeah, it, no. it, it, get all the exercise. <laughs> it made my um, computer anyway, heavier. The, uh, I downloaded the uh, electronic <laughs> version, and I can't carry my computer now. <laughs> so, but anyway, the, it's, it's a great book. Yeah. I know you got to get back to teaching, but yeah, I appreciate it. You know, I do like the readers that was not designed, the, the textbook was not designed for patients. So it's... It's full of technical terms, but I don't explain because these are things that physicians should understand. But um, it is uh, it has, I think, wonderful pictures of what patients are, the pattern they're complaining about, and the anatomy, and how to do the injections, and how to do the nerve freezings, and how to do the peripheral nerve stimulators, and um, you know what other options are the surgery, and how to get rid of the perpetuating uh, factors, and so a total of seven seven nerves really from the head to the toe. So it's my it's my magnus opus. Yeah, it, it is. It, it's evergreen. It's your. Um, I, I think it's your legacy. Uh, it's going to be your legacy because that book is going to be uh, redone, redone, version one, two, three. You know, updated, 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 and it's it's fantastic. We're already book. coming. We're, I'm already gathering stuff for the second edition because it really has um, already the the field is exploding with this concept of peripheral nerve entrapment. So I'm riding that wave. Yep. So I'm going to uh, throw out a difficult patient I had, and I'll take your two, uh, two cents worth of input. I'll take it any time. Um, pelvic pain, interstitial cystitis was a diagnosis, but doesn't really fit. Uh, irritable bowel, a lot of fatigue, some muscle pain. It's diffuse, kind of fibromyalgic, fibromyalgic, really. It doesn't meet criteria. I use a 1990 criteria, American Rheumatology Association. I don't use the new stuff. Um, and uh, the problem is uh, the pelvic pain is starting to interfere with their marriage, and you can imagine why. She can't travel. She can't go anywhere. Uh, of course, intercourse is out. And um, some trouble with urination, all right, does not have a UTI. Uh, worked up the differential diagnosis, and it's not classic symptoms of interstitial cystitis. She does not have vulvodynia. She does not have vaginitis, but she has a lot of pelvic pain. Wastebasket term, interstitial cystitis. What am I going to do to treat that? Well, there are a couple of things. Uh, the most common thing I see that gets misdiagnosed as interstitial cystitis is uh, genital femoral neuralgia um, with entrapment at the pubic tubercle. So I would examine her at the pubic tubercle. She needs a good um, vaginal 
bimanual exam as well, feeling for areas of tenderness along the levator muscles, the tip of the coccyx, make sure that it's mobile but it's non-tender, feeling along the that anterior sacrum, um, moving the uterus to make sure that uh, examining the uterus, that you can have fibroids that, may, that get misdiagnosed, that they get big enough to start pushing on the bladder and they mm-hmm. give you urinary um, urgency and frequency, but no um, UTI. And then the pudendal, you can also there feel at the iliac spine for the pudendal nerve. The pudendal nerve will give you a um, this deep uh, pelvic, uh, perineal pain, and um, because one of the branches goes to the urethra, you can get urethritis uh, symptoms without an infection. If it's not clear from the examination exactly where I do uh, low dose caudal low dose low volume caudal epidural, and try and especially if you can't examine them because they're too tender, um, I'll do uh, low dose caudal epidural. Um, to sort of partially anesthetize enough to be able to examine them effectively. This is sort of like I do with the CRPS patients where I'll do um, a sympathetic block to shut down the allodynia, the the unable to touch them because it's hurting, and then go and do a good exam while they're partially numb. And um, the... But it certainly sounds like those areas would be the things that I would look at first. You could look at the superior hepagastric mm-hmm. and give some um, relief in that area. Those energy is, I'd be, I, I wouldn't do a neurolytic, but I certainly would look at a diagnostic to see if it's a sympathetically mediated. Um, we have a variety of pelvic stimulation um, modalities that are now available, but you, um, you, know, you really want to make sure you know what it is you're treating before you start sticking um, stimulators in. There you go. Perfect. Perfect differential diagnosis. That is exactly um, what I love the way you talk peripheral nerves because, you know, that stuff was kind of missed because it would have been as much diagnostic as therapeutic for bladder cancer. So she ended up having bladder cancer. There you go. So, I mean, how, how, how do we miss this stuff sometimes? But if you were blocking the nerves and getting a good exam and, you know, the differential diagnosis is fully explored by allowing that bimanual exam, she wouldn't let anybody touch her. I couldn't even do right or left lower quadrant exam. No. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah you nailed and it. And so that, what that does is it shuts her down to be able to be able to examine her, to turn down the volume so you can actually hear. And um, so, and that's a very, I think what happens is people do one piece of it. They'll do the sympathetic block for for CLPS. Patient gets some relief, wonderful, but they never do the follow-on step, which is to examine them while you've got that window of yep. having pain relief. That's, that's fantastic. Okay, uh, I, I appreciate you having on. I know you've got more lectures today, right? How many more you got? I sure do. They're not. They're, they're knocking at the door here in just a second. Okay. Uh, two more lectures. So it's now um, four o'clock. We started at seven. We'll go to seven tonight. Oh, wow. And um, so they did. They did uh, one to seven last night, and then they'll be seven to seven tonight. <laughs> and this is their first weekend, and they've got seven more weekends. Um, before the end of the before the end of the year, so a real committed group, and this will this is our seventh year of doing this. Twenty five people at a time, and so 
very, very exciting. Nineteen of these have gone on to take the World Institute of Pain um, Interventional, a fellow of Interventional Pain Practice. Yeah, what's your number? Uh, what, um, what is your number for the certification? Aren't you like 30? I'm sorry? My what? number? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, I was with the first group. Um, so right behind the... Um, right behind the guys who created the exam. So I'm, I'm in the, um, I don't know. 75, something like no, that. No, you're much lower. I'm, I'm like 80. You're, I think you're probably like 20. So this is how long you've been uh, yeah, part be. of I don't. I'd have to look. I don't even remember. Yeah, that's a legacy exam. Uh, so Yeah, no, it's a, it, was a, it was an early uh, an early adopter. And tough. Uh, it was tough. And then we're going to re- replicate this in um, Budapest starting in May. We'll do it just four weekends, but do it for... Um, Three days, a full Friday, Saturday, and a full Sunday in yes. Budapest starting in May. And we've already got people signed up from um, Egypt and Iran oh, and wow. um, uh, um, the, the Czech Republic and um, Lithuania and France Jeez. and Italy. And so yeah, it's going to be work. Um, another exciting and then we plan to have one, hopefully by next year, down in South America, outside South Africa, where we'll do it as two one-week sessions because it's too hard for people to fly back and forth. So we'll do it as a full week. Yeah. Um, who's going to be you know, uh, mentoring that? Seven, eight, or seven, eight. Who, uh, from, I'm sorry? Who's mentoring that? Um, I met him. Uh, that'll be Eric Wilson. Yeah, I met yeah, Eric. He's, he's a wonderful, great guy. Wonderful, wonderful guy. Yeah, so... Uh, oh. Wow. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant guy. Yeah. And um, was originally in your nose and throat and then um, got a shoulder injury. And um, when it couldn't operate and came into pain instead, and now his shoulder is fine, but he is just an amazing, amazing head and neck, yes. but also just all over. Yeah, he is. So, but Andrea, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, I'll take it anytime I can get it. And enjoy your time. I hope you get a little Brazilian food down there, and uh, come back and talk soon. Oh, okay? love it! <laughs> Pesquada and lots of <laughs> so, Oh yeah! Take care, <laughs> Andrea. Thank you, Andrea. World class. So you know if you're Lucky enough to have been treated by Andrea. You are a lucky person. She's an excellent lecturer. She's one of these people that I, I use as a go-to. And she is uh, one of the folks that uh, puts herself out there, as you can see. you know, She doesn't have to go to Brazil to teach folks, but she does. And I guess that's a Hippocratic Oath. you know. Uh, teach and express your knowledge. Let's get another generation involved. And she's doing it, and I appreciate every ounce of her courage doing that. She's a great expression of wisdom. Well, thanks again for coming, and uh, we'll get we'll get some more of these out. I'm looking forward to some uh, podcasts that are coming up, so I'll talk to you soon.